everybody. This is the Encounter Mercy podcast. Uh, you are listening to myself, AJ Gedney, and I'm joined here by Father Andy Boyd. Father Andy, how are you? Good and you, AJ. Good. How's your Lent been going? Lent Advent. Lentment. <laughs> well, you know, I I mean, it kind of feels like a Lentment. You know, a lot of people are saying like it's just this Lent that doesn't doesn't seem to end. Um, but Advent, Advent's going pretty well. Um, exhausted, you know. There's just even with all of the facts of life being kind of like shut down, there's still so much to do and not enough time to do it. It seems so. Uh, I'm looking forward to maybe a few days after Christmas of just being able to sleep and not do anything for a little bit. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to. But, but not to get too ahead of myself, um, you know, Advent is a wonderful time to be uh, praying and to enter into uh, the season of preparation and preparing our hearts. So, you know, as best as anybody can, um, I, you know, not as faithful to all of the commitments that maybe I had wanted to start, but uh, being able to at least say that, you know, nothing has fallen off the shelf right now. Well, good. How about you, AJ? Yeah. Yeah, I've been enjoying uh, looking at the readings every day and going th- like methodically through Isaiah because mm. I feel like every year I get more and more out of it. And I think, like I mentioned before on the podcast, uh, that I guess two semesters ago, I had prophetic literature uh, right. with Father Pat. As you know, and it was good because he. This is during the, the lockdown, so I'm at home, we're doing classes online. I mentioned like how important the prophets are, especially in times of suffering and kind of strife. You know, people now are you know cut off from their liturgy. It feels like so the Israelites they were in Babylon, uh, or you know, with a lot of the prophets there, like for they're from kind of foretelling of this exile. So it's been kind of cool going through um, Isaiah, and it speaks of a time like. Is when everything will be great and amazing and of course we know like that's heaven or for the israelites it was you know going back to jerusalem right uh, so for me it's just been really cool looking at uh like isaiah yeah isaiah is one of those prophets that we all we all know a little bit about just because especially if you're going to church um even before the pandemic if you go to church throughout all of advent you know, that's all you're going to hear for the most part is is isaiah you know and then if you're going to daily mass like you said we're seeing isaiah left right and center and I mean, it's extremely important because he's talking about all of these prophecies that are pointing towards the Messiah. Um, But he also reminds the people that they're going to be blinded by the Messiah and they're not going to notice him and be able to pay attention to him. And yet they're it's ironic because they're still expecting this Messiah who's going to be a war chief to come down. And instead, as we know, being on this side of creation history, we know that it's not a war chief in what they understand because they're expecting it to be a physical battle when in fact Christ is preparing us for the spiritual battle that mm-hmm. undergoes every day of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So what I wanted to talk about today um, is liturgical seasons in general. So I think a lot of people know what each season does. Um you know, so to say, like, you know, we do penance and Lent, it's preparation for Easter and Advent, we're, we're waiting. But I just want to talk about, like, why are there seasons? Yeah. Um, and how they kind of interact with each other. So I think one of the greatest definitions I heard of, like, why there are liturgical seasons is the mystery of Christ. It's so deep and so mysterious, so overwhelming that we take different aspects of 
Christ and we stretch them into seasons so we can, so us humans can kind of dwell on it. So of course in Advent, we dwell on his incarnation, very special way, like, you know, thinking about, you know, what was it like the time before Christ, you know, leading up to this? Well, what does it mean that Christ was born as a human? Then we have like the Christmas season, um, Lent, we kind of think about the symbolic nature of the 40 days, like the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, get into the promised land. Uh, we remember Jesus is spending 40 days in the desert, praying and fasting, getting ready for his ministry. Um, but it's just to dive in deeper to each one of those mysteries. It's like, what does it mean uh, that Christ died on the cross? What does it mean that he rose? Um, especially, I want to get your opinion on those being a priest uh, for these uh, handful of years that been in the parish um, yeah. seeing that done and having done all, all, all the liturgies yeah yeah absolutely and i think a great way for us to start with is trying to understand well okay so we have a guest now and of course no one's gonna be able to see this or possibly even hear this but my lovely dog henry is not leaving me alone so um if you hear barking or trotting it's just he he wants to sit on my lap and it doesn't work so well here in front of the computer but hey whatever um you know talking about liturgical seasons, I think we need to, you know, talk about something that we take for granted, I think. And, and the number one thing that we're taking for granted in this discussion is the seasons of the year as well. And how we hear in scripture, not just the seasons of the year, but the seasons of life, right? So we hear in scripture. Now, see, I'm going to quote scripture and hopefully you'll be able to either type it really fast and look it up or um, you'll know it off the top of my head, off the top of your head. But my head is completely blank right now. I just can remember there. Um, and it's one that we hear and I'm fairly certain it is one of the letters of Paul. I'm starting to give hints here. And I'm sure if I were to have my marriage ritual at hand, it would be one of the readings there because there is a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time. Ecclesiastes. Thank you. Ecclesiastes. Okay. So I was wrong. I was completely wrong. See, this is why I'm not a scripture scholar. No, no it was, it was a test. So I, I appreciate your test. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to live and there's a time to die. There's a time to laugh and a mm. time to cry. Um, and we have all these, uh, no, uh, rhyming intended there. But um, we have these different seasons of life, but we also have the seasons of the year. Now, we can start to think about this in a bit of a more secular way. Um, I don't think anybody would, first off, want, then again, I might be wrong. I might be showing that I'm not enough of a basic white girl, um, which I'm not. Um, but pumpkin spice exists from about, I don't know, end of August till end of November. And then we have peppermint that kind of exists at Starbucks from, I don't know, beginning of December through, I think, middle of January. Point is, is that like we can look at that in that way, but there's a time and a place for, um, you know, having those different spices at your local coffee shop um, but there's also times of the year. Of course, my favorite season of the year is probably fall just because I love the cooler temperatures, the smell in the air where my parents live. It's right near the, uh, grape vineyards 
in Northeast Pennsylvania. So whenever you walk outside of their house on a cool fall afternoon, you just get this wonderful smell of grapes ripening. But you don't get that all year round. You know, you don't get that mm, all year round. Mm. So there's going to be different times of the year that you get to experience things that at other times of the year you don't. Same idea with what I was saying with, you know, and, and the scripture writers would say as well, the seasons of life. At some points of life, you're going to experience a lot of the beginning of life, right? Especially as you yourself are growing up, you experience all things new for the first time as you're going through your first 20 odd years. And then as you go through life, things may get a bit repetitive, but they still are changing. But then at the end of your life, for the last 20 odd years, you're experiencing something completely different. You're experiencing death and you're experiencing um, separation and you're experiencing a different type of life there. And so we have these experiences of those types of seasons as well, but it doesn't, it could all come at once. And it, sometimes it feels like it does come all at once, but mm -hmm. they're different seasons of our life. You know, I'm thinking about the couple that, um, you know, were dating for years and then he proposed and they got engaged. And so that was a new season. And then they go from being engaged to being married. And that's a whole completely different season of life. And then from being married to being widowed in some way, if one of them dies before the other. And so the one that lives has a new season, a new season of life where they have to experience that life. And then finally, at end of life, we have a different season because if you've ever had the experience of being with someone who is going through hospice care, that's a completely different season of life and one that is, can be and usually is very, very difficult but also one that can open up to some of the greatest joys of people. So, you know, we have these different seasons in our life. Same goes to show for the different seasons in our church. And so we have a liturgical calendar that's a little bit off from the uh, secular calendar. And we start in the end of the calendar year. And we start with the uh, first Sunday of Advent being the first new day of the liturgical year. So now that we're in Advent and we are looking to start our third week of Advent, I'm all turned around because I was not here for the first Sunday of Advent. So I, mm. I'm still like a week behind in my mind a lot of the times. Um, but so we're going into the third Sunday of Advent, which is a little bit different from the other three Sundays of Advent. Um, it marks the middle point of our Advent journey, and we get to experience um, just a little bit more of the Advent calendar this Sunday by, okay, see, this is, again, this is why maybe I shouldn't record podcasts, and maybe Vince should look for a new host, because I'm going to say something I completely forgot uh, till just now, but is it joy that we celebrate on the third Sunday of Advent, or is it hope? I want to say it's joy. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, Laetaria's Lent, Gaudete, Gaudete. It's Gaudete, yeah. Like, or yeah, Laetaria's yeah, yeah. in Lent, Gaudete is in Advent, yeah. Yeah. And I think, so, I really think they both mean kind of rejoice or like yeah, joyful. Yeah, because it's, it's the midway point. It's, we're halfway through mm -hmm. our journey. So look up, be, be joyful because we wear rose on those two Sundays instead of purple. 
Um, Mm -hmm. and even the colors that we, we have during our liturgical calendar, you know, they mean something very important to, um, the way that we celebrate in the liturgy in the Roman church, right? You know, we're not even speaking about the Eastern church. They do it differently, which is beautiful, but not our, not our church, not, not something that you and I can speak on because we're both studying for the, well, I'm ordained for, you're about to be ordained for the Latin church, Mm -hmm. which is what most people are. So, you know, even that completely feeds into the um, liturgical uh, uh, seasons of the year. Yeah. Father Andy, you said something that I remember that you and I both probably learned um, in Father Warren's class at St. Vincent in worship and ministry is like you just mentioned rhythms, like our bodies have rhythms. The world, nature has rhythms. Even the secular culture, like you said, has rhythms. So it makes sense that the church has rhythms you know, like to line up with those. Um, I know like you and I would know that in the liturgy of the hours, like with the intercessions for morning prayer, they're kind of about new life and coming into being and awaking and thanking God for the day. And in evening prayer, you know, we pray for the dead. Um, Think about like the fall or the autumn of your life. We're, you know, starting to decline. We kind of focus on that because the sun is setting. So there's so much cool stuff there. Um, But uh, Father Andy, I want to put you on the spot. Uh, What, there are what are the liturgical seasons? Can you name them? Sure. So let's start with now. You might want to get very specific, and we might actually get to be very specific once we get to the one. But um, let's start with the first, and that's when we enter into Advent. We have four weeks of Advent, and like we said, uh, the color for Advent is uh, purple. It's it's more of a um, bluish purple, but I mean it doesn't matter. Like if you really want violet. to violet, violet, yeah, that's more. That's a bit more accurate of the color. And it's it's to represent the royalty of Christ mm-hmm. and, and reminding us of his coming as king. But then, as we said, we enter into the third week of Advent. We wear rose and, um, you know, rose, pink, whatever you want to call it. It's just not Pepto-Bismol pink, hopefully. Um, but the pink is supposed to lighten our spirits and remind us that this journey, because it's dark, at least for us in the Northern Hemisphere, which is where Rome is, which is where Christ would have been, um, because that's where Jerusalem is, but where Christ was, it's more, it's darker, you know, it's colder. And if we're looking at the Middle East, um, it's a bit, it's the wet season, so it's raining a lot more. And it's just kind of kind of miserable. So we're reminding people with the rose that we are on a journey and the journey is not over and to be hopeful and to be joyful because we're coming to the end. And so we go from uh, the purple to the rose on the third week and then we go back to purple. There's only two days out of the year. It's not even two weeks. It's literally two days out of the year we wear rose and Gaudete and Laetare, which we will get to momentarily. And then after um, Advent, we enter into the Christmas season, which is very short, very short. And yes, although I was decorating the rectory for Christmas because, you know, life is not going to allow me to do it the night before Christmas. I'm going to be kind of busy with things. Um, And I kind of like to enjoy the lights a little bit. But, you know, my rectory is decorated for Christmas. But really, we don't decorate our churches until Christmas because we're, we're calling the fact that Yes, you know, it's not a bad thing to have greenery up in your church in Advent, but you're recalling this journey, this journey, and the journey isn't over until we get to Christmas Day, right? You can't like celebrate a baby's birthday. What's that? 
hasn't come yet. So exactly. you need to wait for the Christ child to come. Then you decorate for Christmas because it is right. Christmas. So and and you don't celebrate a child's birthday every day that you know that you're pregnant. You wait until the birthday of the child, which can come unexpectedly. Right. And so you don't know what that is. And so sometimes the first year you don't get to celebrate the birthday in the way that you normally would. So we enter into Christmas and um, as we enter into Christmas, it, it's a very short period. Uh Usually, I mean, I'll be wearing gold because my mother made me a very beautiful gold chasuble for Christmas, but gold or white because it's a, um, a bright season, a bright season. It's when we celebrate a high solemnity. And in fact, we don't just celebrate Christmas for one day. How many days do we celebrate, AJ? We get an octave. That's right. So that's eight days. Eight days. So we get to celebrate Christmas for eight days. And we kind of hearken the eight days to um, one way you can look at it. It kind of connects us back to our Jewish roots. And so what is it that the Jews are now celebrating starting tomorrow, being that this is now Thursday when this is released? Hanukkah. Like a... Hanukkah. Anyway, Hanukkah, they have eight crazy nights, right? Isn't that what Adam Sandler says in his song? Um, horrible mm -hmm. song, but funny nonetheless, but still, uh, eight nights. And the eight nights, uh, which is the traditional amount of time that it, they prayed for this little bit of oil would last them in the candelabra, the menorah, in the temple, would last and, and this little bit of oil lasted them for eight whole days until they were able to get more oil for the uh, menorah. So we, in a way, it's not, you can't say like, okay, there's this perfect clear line that yes, at some point someone made this decision, but the idea is that it, it's holding a, an eight day celebration for this miraculous event. And so what a better, yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah, I think for both, um, so uh, there's two solemnities. We have Christmas and Easter. They both get octaves. Yep. And I know in the old calendar, um, Pentecost got an octave too. Yes, like, you know, exactly. The birth of the church. So again, it, it brings to our minds that it's not a one-day thing. It's a whole week yeah. because it's so important. You know, some feast days, okay, we have one day. Great. Mo you know, moving on the calendar. But then for these, we stop and we wait and we observe it and we kind of immerse ourselves in the mystery. But it just it brings to our attention that you think, huh, I'm back in Mass on Sunday. It's still a Sunday of Easter. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, you know, in that case, it's, it's Divine Mercy Sunday. Um, but it should bring to your mind, like, oh, wow, we're still celebrating Easter. And because I know for, like, you know, you and I experiencing daily Mass during both Christmas and like Easter, those days is a feast in itself, like right. doing the Creed, doing the Gloria. So, again, even people going to daily Mass would have to think, huh, like we're singing hymns and there's like more chanting and we're doing the Gloria. Like, why is this? Oh, it's because of the importance of the feast we celebrated that Sunday. If you're stuck with me, that you're getting incense every day, even on a daily mass, like, what is this young priest doing? But, you know, uh, this year, Christmas Day is on the is on a Friday, so the 25th is a Friday. We immediately go into a weekend. So on the 26th, granted, um, I don't have any masses on Christmas uh, the, the 26th in the morning, um, because I'll be with family, and so will the pastor, and, and we're grateful to people, but, oh, excuse me. I shouldn't have had that pizza for dinner. It's now it's just wrecking havoc. Anyway, um, you know, you have the 25th and the 26th, the 26th in the evening. You then have um, 
a whole nother day of Sunday. We're still celebrating Sunday. So, you know, you can still say Merry Christmas and should say Merry Christmas. And if I see anybody going outside and taking their Christmas decorations down on the 26th, I'm going to come over there and uh, with a Christmas, um, I don't know, Christmas stick uh, from Krampus. And, you, and hit, a a Yule log? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And make you put your decorations back up because Christmas doesn't end. It's not over yet. And in fact, the Christmas season isn't even over. And in the old calendar, Christmas went until the 2nd of February when we celebrated Candlemas. But in the new calendar, not so much anymore. It ends um, shortly. It's, it's, there's two Sundays of Christmas and then that's it. So, but after Christmas season... Which I, you and I, honestly, we could sit and talk about forever. In fact, maybe that'll be an episode in and of itself because the Christmas season, there's just so mm-hmm. much in such a short amount of time. And there's millions of Christmas carols that we could sing at church. And yet we only focus on very, very small few. But anyway, we have um, uh, the Christmas season. And then we go into a very short period of ordinary time. And it changes cool, the amount of... Wanna- yeah. So I'm talking about ordinary time. Um, so I pulled out my uh, <clears throat> daily mitzel and it quotes the ceremonial of bishops because I went to the section where it begins ordinary time. Um, and I'm going to quote from there. So it says, apart from those seasons having their own distinctive character, 33 or 34 weeks remain in the yearly cycle that do not celebrate a particular element of the mystery of Christ. Rather, especially on the Sundays, these weeks are devoted to the mystery of Christ in its entirety. So I think that's important to let people know that when we say ordinary time, it's not because it's plain or, you know, the priest wears that lame green vestment. No, it's ordinary, like ordinal numbers. Like there's an order, like just like the ordained priesthood, you know, the priesthood of the baptized. There's an order to it. There's a hierarchy. So it's just referring to what we call those weeks. Yeah. Um, Because, again, I think in the old calendar, it was like ordinary time was like week, like uh, Sundays after Epiphany. And I think Sundays after Pentecost. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so now we just we give those things a name. It's ordinary time. Right. So I think um, it's not just boring. It's just ordered. And in that case, we have time to go through the whole mystery of Christ. Whereas, you know, each season has a very specific thing we look at. Like we look at just his passion and death or an Easter, like just his resurrection. Um, and then especially on Sunday, uh, which is one of the points I wanted to make is we celebrate everything. Right. Like every day is the resurrection. Every day is incarnation. Every day is his passion and death. Um, but if every day was the same. It's kind of overwhelming. You know, those each of these are mysteries. They're each like infinitely understandable. So I think that's another point with liturgical seasons is every Sunday, especially if you listen to like Eucharistic prayer, we celebrate all those things. Right. You know, I mentioned the creed is in the Eucharistic prayer. We mentioned his like, you know, incarnation, his passion, his death, his resurrection, his coming again. Yeah. So I just, I remember when I learned that about ordinary time, it was, um, it was helpful because as a kid, you're like, Oh, you know, all the cool hymns are gone or the priest just wears green now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as Christians, it's easy to slip into that rhythm of life where (laughs) every day I was just talking to my brother on the phone right before this. And, um, he's teaching, uh, grade school history right now. And he said, you know, the, the schools are all closed where he's at, so he's having to teach from home. And before, he was at least going into the school and teaching from the school, but now they're not permitting anybody into the schools. And he said, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that it was Wednesday. And, and to be honest, I didn't either until I, I kept thinking about, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's Wednesday, because this week mm-hmm. my calendar's all messed up because the holy day was yesterday. 
and the grade school mass was yesterday and normally that's on Wednesday. And so it was all chaotic. So, you know, I'm a little turned around, but, um, if the days just mesh together and we call it this ordinary boring time, that doesn't make any sense because as you said, there's nothing ordinary about the mass. There's nothing boring about the mass. Yeah, for sure. Aren't putting yourself into it. But when we look at the other, you know, Sundays of the year, we have an opportunity to enter into that mystery in a different way. You know, we have the um, Good Shepherd Sunday. We always have the Good Shepherd Sunday once a year, and we talk about what who Christ is as the Good Shepherd. Um, and then you always have to take up a collection and just wait till you're a pastor, and, and that's all they, the diocese cares about is, how much money can you give us? Anyway, um, you know, <laughs> we have those different celebrations throughout the year. They don't get to be a special season, Um but they are a special day and a special yeah, um, yeah. experience on the Sundays throughout the year. And so they might not get a season. They might not even get to be mentioned as the day of this in, in the, you know, in the calendar and the calendar just says the 22nd Sunday of ordinary time, but it's still a, a special celebration just in, in so far as it is a Sunday. Um, yeah. And so you could even Sunday, take what you learn yeah. during like a liturgical season and just bring it to the mass because it's not yeah. like you put that away. Like you think, oh, this Advent, I was just really inspired by, you know, Christ. You know, he was God or, or um, it's like he was God made flesh. Right. And he was clothed in this richness and came poor as a baby. You don't just like put that away. Like you don't put that away with an nativity set. Like, OK, right. I'll bring it out next Advent. No, like take it with you every mass because every mass we celebrate the incarnation. Exactly. Um, or like, you know, if in a Lent, you're just really touched by, you know, how much Christ suffered or how he took all of humanity's sin upon him, bring that to mass because guess what? We talk about the passion in the mass. Yep. yep. Yeah. And although we lose in a few moments, we're going to talk about it. We lose the Alleluia and the um, Gloria during Lent. You know, we don't have the Gloria during Advent either, but we keep mm-hmm. the Alleluia. But when we are in Lent, we lose the Alleluia and we lose the Gloria. But every Sunday is still a mini Easter, right? Even though we we yeah. hide those yeah. things, there it's still Easter because we're not just celebrating His death on the cross. We're celebrating, and, and this is where the mystery comes into play, and this is where it can be come very confusing, but what we're celebrating on Sundays, even in Lent is the fact that when he said those words, um, this is my body, this is my blood. When he said those words, he wasn't just talking about the bread, which then became his body. He's also talking about his sacrifice upon the cross, which is going to happen, but he's also talking Mm. about his resurrection, which is still going to happen in creation history. But if we're only celebrating Holy Thursday, none of that has happened yet. So even though we might be celebrating Holy Thursday, you know, Mass of the Lord's Supper, we're not just celebrating Holy Thursday. We're celebrating Holy Thursday, Good Friday, the, the rest in the tomb on Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. And we're celebrating that not only on Sundays, we're celebrating that every single day of the year. And so we have these different seasons to break it up because if we were to just, you know, make every day Sunday, I would become so confused. And I think everybody else would too. So. And not not to jump the gun, uh, but so I'm on the US uh, CCD website where it talks about the liturgical year. um, And I don't think I would have said that the triduum was a season, but it is. 
that's where if you go into and so let's go through the next season. So we have the ordinary time. It only lasts a very short amount of time, up to ten weeks, um, because uh, it, the reason for this is that the next season depends on Easter Sunday. And so, um, AJ, I am going to quiz you on this because my grandmother taught me this years ago and I've had it memorized ever since, but how do you know when Easter is in the Roman calendar? It is the first Sunday Mm -hmm. after the full moon after the vernal, that is the spring equinox. Correct. The first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. That is correct. Father Warren would be proud. Um, but the point that's extremely important because during Vatican II, the uh, the Vatican was willing to set down and put pick a date, like say April first is always going to be Easter. Uh, I'm grateful we didn't do that for numerous reasons, but that was the idea is that if we just picked a date, then it's like Christmas. It's always going to be April first. It's always going to be a set time. But I'm glad we didn't do that because Easter is a Sunday and, and you can't have a good Friday be on a Wednesday. Like that just doesn't work. Yeah. And so I'm grateful we didn't switch to that, but it, it almost became, you know, uh, it almost became the norm for us. But so with being, that being said, um, at Lent, excuse me, geez, I'm still stuck in Advent. Well, because we are in Advent, Mm -hmm. but Lent doesn't start until, well, it's not exactly 40 days. It's a few more days than 40, but it starts a time period before Easter Sunday uh, mapped out because of this date and that date and the sun and the moon and everything about that. Um, so you have Ash Wednesday that de- then determines the beginning of Lent. That's, that's the beginning of Lent. And so this year, our time in ordinary time is, I think, four or five weeks at most. And then um, we go into the season of Lent. Season of Lent, our color once again is purple. This time it's more of what we call Roman purple. So it might look a little more pink or reddish, but it is still a uh, purple color. Then uh, this is where, you know, we, we have the different Sundays of Lent. We were talking about the fact that one Sunday in Advent is rose, one Sunday in Lent is rose as well. It marks the midway point of all of the weeks of Lent. And then we have, this is where it can be a little bit more interesting because some calendars would call um, the time from, and this is on the old calendar. This is on the old calendar. But um, you know when we, we uh, veil all the statues and the crucifix and church. Yeah, Passion Tide. Yeah, Passion Tide. So that would, in in some places, that would be considered, uh, and it's uh, in the old calendar, is considered its own season in the church, mm. liturgical season. So it has a different tone to it. The vestments don't usually change. Um, they could, but they don't always. But we look more towards the Passion Tide and the preparation for the actual death of Christ. Uh, Palm Sunday brings another change in our current liturgical calendar because all of a sudden it's not called just Palm Sunday. It's the um, Palm Sunday, the Passion of Our Lord, Passion Sunday, actually, because as we know, we read the Passion Narrative, one of the three uh 
Gospels, the um, Synoptic Gospels, one of the three passion narratives is read on Passion Sunday. But we wear red that day, not purple. And so that's also, it's pointing to something else. It's pointing to the fact that it's, it's like a mini holy, or it's a mini Good Friday because mm-hmm. we, although we don't have the pre-sanctified liturgy, we have the um, actual liturgy being celebrated, but we're celebrating the passion of the Lord on that specific Sunday. So Palm Sunday is its own. And like you said, um, now we're getting into Holy Week. So some calendars will call Holy Week, also depending on which rite in the church you're in, some calendars, depending on the rite, now our rite doesn't do it, calls Holy Week its entirety, which is three days, um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, because the only Mass on uh, Holy Thursday that can be celebrated in the morning is the Chrism Mass, which we also can ch- talk about in a second. But for three days, we have Holy Week, which is preparation for the Triduum. And the Triduum begins, begins with Holy Thursday, Mass of the Lord's Supper. But I think the, a cool thing about the Triduum is um, that's, it's like one whole liturgy. Yes. You know, um, good, uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, because especially on Good Friday, there's no like the cross we come in, the, the, the collect is read at the end of these liturgies, especially on um, Holy Thursday, you know, when you um, have adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, you just kind of boop, you leave. Yeah. So I think the point of that is you don't start and begin each one separately. It's one liturgy, and then it kind of culminates in the Easter Vigil Mass. Exactly. Yeah, because um, it, it's supposed to harken back to and remind us back to the fact that e, uh, the, the Last Supper – Okay, so it also depends on which theologian you're speaking with, but there is the theological idea that the Last Supper really didn't end until the resurrection, but then there's also the idea that the Last Supper didn't end until Christ received the wine, uh, the the uh, gall on the sprig of hyssop that was mixed with vinegar. Um, th- that was the fourth cup, and that was the conclusion of the... Uh, the night before, which I mean, it would make sense if you actually, I'm not an expert on this. I wish we, I hope someday we can get an expert to explain it on this podcast. And if not find someone that can, uh, Scott Hahn, Dr. Scott Hahn is an expert on fourth cup theology. But the idea is Mm. that, (coughs) excuse me, the, um, Seder meal, which is of course what our, uh, mass is based on, but not exactly. Um, there are four cups of wine that the leader must drink. And so Christ having consumed the first through the third throughout the liturgy, one of, uh, well, what we call now the liturgy through the first, uh, the first mass, the last supper, um, one of those being the chalice that he changed into his blood. Um, then at the fourth, when he says, I thirst, had nothing to do with mm-hmm. him actually physically thirsting. It was to conclude the ritual act that was the, um, you know, the, the Last Supper. So we know that that doesn't end there, that it goes on to, of course, his resurrection on Easter Sunday. But uh, when you hopefully, hopefully we're back in our churches this year for the Triduum. 
Um, even if you, if we aren't back in our churches, if you can watch it online somewhere, um, if they do all of the right, I hope that we can go back and do all of the right because we missed so much. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was weird. It was, it was, but if you, if you start it in one church and finish it in one church, and that's important too, because if you start it in one church and finish it in a different church, it doesn't work the same way. But on Holy Thursday, you start the Mass like always with the sign of the cross. At the end of the Mass, there is no blessing. There is no blessing in sending forth and dismissal because we go right from the prayer after communion to the uh, transfer of the Blessed Sacrament out of the church and not just the Eucharist that was consecrated that night. It means every bit of the Eucharist from the tabernacle as well as what was consecrated that night. And it's not carried in the monstrance. It is carried under a veil from the church to a chapel of repose. And um, the theology there and idea there is it's supposed to be like Christ going into the garden of Gethsemane mm. when he spent those hours in prayer before he was taken to the holding cell and beaten and then killed. But the Eucharist is removed from the church and it's completely empty and, and the candles are all supposed to be put out and it's dark. There is no light. Nothing's there. It's empty. But the key here is that we don't finish with any sort of final blessing. There's no benediction because we have the Eucharist out. It's put right into the tabernacle incense and then the door is shut in the chapel of repose. The liturgy just ends that night. And then the next mm -hmm. day when we pick it back up, depending on your parish's time or times, the liturgy literally just picks right back up with the uh, colic, like you said, the priest and ministers enter and the priests and deacons lie prostrate on the ground, means fl uh, you know flat on the ground with their face to the ground, and they lie there for a few moments of silent prayer, but there's no sign of the cross, there's no instruction, it's just you go in, everyone else kneels and the priest uh, lays down, and then he gets up and without saying let us pray, just starts with the prayer. Because yeah, it's, just it's, a continuation it's like they're picking of the up we left off. Yeah, just a continuation of that liturgy. And then at the end of that liturgy, see, I don't remember. I might be wrong. I think that, I don't think that one ends with the blessing. I have to look that up. But I don't think it ends with a blessing because the Easter Vigil does not start with the sign of the cross. The Easter Vigil starts with the lighting of the fire. And so the lighting of the fire then leads us into the next liturgy um, of the Easter Vigil, where we have all those readings read. And then you go into the next aspect of that. So there's a whole lot there. And someday we'll yeah. sit down and digest all of it. But it's a beautiful, beautiful few days in our church. So that, in some places, those three days, the Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, are considered its own liturgical uh, uh, season, but it's a little more vague. You know, nobody, nobody says it anymore because it's just kind of considered, but it doesn't count towards Lent. Like it doesn't count towards right, yeah. the 40 days of Lent because 
of the fact that why we start on Ash Wednesday in the middle of the week and some other days don't count in there either. So, you know, it doesn't count towards Holy Thursday, Good Friday and Holy Saturday don't count towards Lent. And it's because it's not three separate days. It's one day. Like I said, and like you have said, it is, it can be very confusing. Um, And then the next season would be Easter, which we have an octave for that. So I guess we kind of mentioned octaves before. There's an octave for that. And then there's an Easter season. Yeah. And uh, it's 50 days. And I think there's one, I guess, symbolic reason and then one like actual reason. So the actual reason is it ends on Pentecost. Right. Which um, is also a Jewish feast, which means 50 days. Just like our Easter will coincide with Passover, like Jewish celebration of Passover. uh, It's 50 days. But I've also heard it as if there's 40 days of Lent that we're kind of uh, we're penitent, we're kind of mourning, we're doing yeah. penance, we are sacrificing and suffering. There's 50 days of rejoicing. Right. But I think so there's more. So I always thought about, you know, here on earth, we will suffer and uh, and lament and, and, you know, try to improve ourselves through penance. But then like there's all ultimately there's going to be this joy in heaven that we'll celebrate for eternity. So as, as terrible as things could be here, we're it'll be we'll be redeemed. We brought up, we brought up in heaven. We're one with God. So that was interesting because I thought about it just now. Like, oh, well, no, there's like a, a technical reason it's 50 days. Because right. like the, yeah. the, Pente, the Pentecost is Greek for 50. I also remember as a kid hearing that it's 10 days. We celebrate 10 days longer for Easter just to show like Christ defeated death. You know, Christ defeated, you know, um, sin and he brought meaning to our suffering. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's a great way to look at it too. Yeah. It does. That doesn't have to be like the reason why, but it gives us a good idea too Mm -hmm. about how we act on those days. And so having that in mind is extremely important as well for ourselves. So absolutely. And after, like you said, after we go through Easter, which we could do an entire episode on and uh, we will, I'm sure one of these days, Mm -hmm. um, all these ideas is just getting around to doing it and making sure we have some sort of idea about what we're doing. Uh, I think it helps when we're in the season too, you know, so like when we get to Lent, we can have a big one like Ash Wednesday, you know, fasting, almsgiving. Um, But it'd be good to talk about... uh, like we did today, we talk about like, well, why are there seasons? Because right. growing up, I knew what the individual seasons did and like what I should think about in those seasons. Right. But it wasn't really till like, um, like I said, the first theology of that class at seminary um, talks about rhythms of life and then why there are, why there's a calendar and why things are split up and like the historical nature of that. Because I think Father Warren even said, you know, like, the mystery of Christ, it's just so mind-blowingly overwhelming yeah. that we can't do it all at once. Like you said, if every day was Sunday, you know, wait, I got to think about the incarnation, yep. uh, you know, Christ's life, passion, death, and resurrection, and second coming on the same day. Like, ugh, that'd be crazy. Lot. So we kind of split it up and then we kind of bring everything back every Sunday where we celebrate, like you said, Christ's passion, death, resurrection. Um, but I think the, the, the takeaway would be is whatever you learn in a specific season, like keep bringing it with you, bring it yeah. to mass with you. Yeah, because uh, it's not one of the things where it's not like a decoration. Like, oh, okay, we brought out the Easter eggs for Easter. Oh, I lo- I I learned. I had this, you know, revelation. I learned this great spiritual insight during the Easter season. Oh, time to put it away. Yeah, no, it's ordinary right. time now. But no, take it with you. Yep, days Easter. Yep, like every day we celebrate Christ's resurrection. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's another thing in seminary that um, our homiletics professor said, but I think needs to be reiterated not just to. Um, 
us, us who are preachers, uh, but it definitely needs to be reiterated to a lot of preachers. But um, you don't need to hit every single possible point in a scripture passage when you're preaching on it because, well, first off, you're going to lose your audience. And, and I, I've caught myself getting bored with when I have to listen to other people preach if they're trying to cover every possible topic you know, available in that scripture passage. Like that's not the point. That is not the point at all. Um, so it's, it's the idea that, you know, every year when we hear these scripture passages, because we're hearing it from um, the, you know, the three different gospels, we have a three-year cycle, uh, the three different synoptics, we're going to hear those synoptic gospels. They're similar stories. They're a little bit different. Like for instance, just for instance, going through uh, the gospel of Luke, while we're getting through Advent, um, the one day I had the Sermon on the Plain, which everybody's like, well, no, no, not the Sermon on the Plain. He had the Sermon on the Mount. Well, yes, but it's it pretty much is the same one, but maybe it's not. Um, you know, that's, that's like also, you know, Jesus was in a he was in an airplane and he gave a sermon. So that's right. Yeah, you're talking about that. That's a good idea. I, I should say that from now on because it was the Sermon on the Mount, but he was on in a plane over top of the mount. Yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Um, but the idea is that, you know, those are very similar, but yet they're different. And it shows it, it, you know, I'll let a scripture scholar explain that better. But the idea is, at least in one way to look at it, is um, you're hearing essentially the same stories every year. You're hearing it from a different perspective, but you're hearing the same stories every year. And that's the same way with when a priest or a, uh, a very qualified deacon preaches um you, you have an opportunity to hear a different perspective on that passage. And that's the point about preaching is that I might say something at all three masses that I have that weekend or 10 masses or however many masses I have on the weekend. And I'm giving the exact same homily, um, but it's going to impact everybody in a different way. And so even though I'm, I might be thinking, okay, I have this one linear thought, someone else may come out of left field and say, I really appreciate when you said X. And so mm -hmm. then we have an opportunity that we don't have to try to preach on every single topic, because if we also tried to make Sunday every day and we tried to preach on all of Christ in every single mass all the time we'd never be able to get down to some very important distinctions and understandings about Christ, right? You know, we, we run into the scripture passage when Christ is flipping tables and throwing people out of the, um, the temple, you know, Christ got angry. Well, wait a minute, that, that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, it's taking that time to understand it and being able to pull it apart because that might get completely glossed over if all we're focusing on is strictly in the scripture passage, the uh, gospel narrative of Christ rising from the dead. Those are important and they have their place, but they're not the only gospel. And so if this is supposed to be an experience of us entering into the eternity of heaven, you know, that's when we'll be able to understand everything. So we have to be able to understand it now as best we can. And so breaking up into bite-sized pieces makes it easier. Yeah, I think um, the last thing I want to say, maybe we could close on this, is something you said just now and then in the beginning reminded me of why we have these repeatable seasons is think about our last advent. You know, uh, like you said, even in your cycle of life, like maybe you've started 
and they had a new job and you moved out of your parents' house. Or like, how have you grown since last Advent? So like this Lent be interesting because we're going to think about last Lent. Right. You know, when all of us were given this penance of lockdown. Um, so I think that's interesting too is then can approach the, the feasts of the calendar, approach these liturgies. And the nice thing is the next year, you're going to do it again. If you, you know, if you have a really rough year, uh, you can bring that to liturgy and kind of bring it and reflect on that the next year thinking, huh, you know, my year, what well, was my year like this year? And then as we know, the church calendar starts over beginning of Advent, maybe before that Sunday, you can think, huh, how was my reception of the sacraments this year? So that's a cool thing too, is it repeats every single year of your life. So each time you can kind of reflect on, hmm, where have I been? Like, where can I go? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great way for us to pay attention to as we head from this day in Advent to the next day in Advent and finally Christmas. And uh, finally, we enter into eternal life is how is it that we're growing and learning from the what might seem as repetitious or ordinary. And so uh, that's my prayer for you, AJ, as well as myself, that we don't get stuck in the same rut, but we learn from that. And I hope that our listeners can as well. Thank you. Thank you for coming up with a good topic. I'm glad you came up with this because I was kind of blanking tonight. <laughs> good. Well, I know I started the podcast, but uh, Father Andy, do you know all the information, like the That's website right. and email and stuff? But... Yeah, sadly, I got I to gotta close it out now with all that information. So Vince, as you're editing, this is a good place for you to start that outro music. Uh, you can, of course, find us online at EncounterMercy.com or EncounterMercy.today to get a quick link to all of our different areas as well. Um, and, of course, you can find us on any podcast source where you can subscribe and listen to podcasts or even say, Hey, Alexa, play Encounter Mercy podcast. And then she will oh. hopefully respond and play Encounter Mercy podcast, which she's now playing in my office. Alexa, stop. <laughs> and so we have that opportunity as well. So everybody have a wonderful night and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.